My name is Rashad Robinson, and I'm on race and coronavirus because our work has to be about changing the rules that far too often hold Black people in our communities back. Welcome to Race and Coronavirus. I'm Levy Sumagaisai. And I'm Patty Nabalta. Our guest today is Rashad Robinson, president of Color of Change, a national civil rights advocacy nonprofit. Thanks for joining us, Rashad. Thanks for having me. Sure. So Color of Change advocates um, politically for African-Americans in lots of different areas. But today we're going to try to focus on your technology advocacy, especially in the time of COVID-19. For example, early on, you pushed Twitter to get rid of misinformation about COVID-19. What are the tech issues that concern you most as we go through this pandemic? And how has Color of Change evolved its work during this time? Well, you know, the issue here is is that racism is kind of like water that pours over the floor with holes in it. It will always sort of find the cracks. It will always find the places to seep through. And technology, in so many ways, supercharges that. It makes things go quicker. It animates things. And so, you know, part of the challenges and part of our work at Color of Change is to ensure that we have robust and clear rules for tech. Because in so many ways, uh, what the sort of intersection between racism and technology means that Black people end up Um, in harm's way for multiple different ways. And so part of the work that we've even done with dealing misinformation and disinformation is not just the ways in which that impacts our communities, but all the ways in which technology can really make that information spread much quicker, can allow that information to stay out in the world much longer, and can make that information so much more powerful in its ability to hurt us. I wanted to ask you, if I may, you wrote an op-ed, and in it you said, Faced with the prospect of Trump's Katrina, Color of Change is launching a series of campaigns that will mobilize Black people across America to ensure racial justice in coronavirus response. Can you talk about this a bit more? How did this come about and what is the progress of these campaigns? Well, you know, at Color of Change, we work every single day online oftentimes to give people the ability to translate their outrage, their anger, their passion, their hopes, their dreams into action, right? And we do that through providing very clear strategic ways, uh, petitions, then opportunities from starting at an online petition up a ladder of engagement from phone calls to um, strategic actions that people can take all in service at pushing those in power to do the things that we need them to do. And so at Color of Change, we built this platform called The Black Response. Uh, The blackresponse.org was our online hub where we hosted a whole series and are continuing to host a whole series of campaigns, ranging from campaigns to make us powerful and protect our right to vote in our democracy, campaigns that deal with the ways in which coronavirus spreads inside of prisons and jails because social distancing is literally impossible, and all the ways in which we need to ensure sure that we not only deal with the impacts of coronavirus on the economy and the economic life of the Black communities, but we ensure we get in place the type of laws and protections that allow us to move forward. And so really leveraging the power of technology to give real people something to do, then really being able to translate that energy and activism to the type of political voice, to corporations or political leaders, making sure they hear from us 
translating that into uh, ad campaigns, translating that into phone call efforts, translating that into voter registration drives, all in service of ensuring that we are unignorable as we face an economic crisis that's had deep impacts on our community. Rashad, let's talk about Facebook. (laughs) So uh, you and I have definitely been in touch over the years about Facebook. You have long pushed Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg to make sure that Facebook's policies don't hurt Black people. Can you talk about your recent dealings with Facebook? I know that you pushed them about leaving Trump's post up about when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Can you talk about that? And then Facebook has said Black Lives Matter. How can Facebook really help Black Lives Matter? This is such a good question because, you know, this, as you know, we've been in this work for a while when it comes to Facebook. They have 2.3 billion users on Facebook alone. That's more followers than Christianity. And that doesn't count WhatsApp and um, Instagram. A private person like Mark Zuckerberg, should, who has sole control over all of these platforms with 60 sort of plus percent of the shares, a private person shouldn't get to own public squares this large. And that's really what's at stake here in terms of our democracy and our economy. And as we were pushing Facebook most recently in meetings where we sat down with Mark and and Cheryl and uh, Nick Clegg and Joel Kaplan, the policy director and others, you know, was really not just about the looters and shooters post, but it was also about some other posts around Trump really advancing voter suppression as he made really obvious and direct lies on their platform around vote by mail. Um, In both of these instances, we fought over the years to get Facebook to actually put in really good policies or policies that we could actually win around the type of content that would be allowed on the platform. And inside of the four corners of those policies, when it comes to Trump, these policies suddenly don't actually matter. And they, they throw out sort of the ideas because the platform seems to be afraid to, of course, any type of accountability on Donald Trump. We actually saw the platform and Facebook being actually pretty effective when it came to dealing with misinformation and disinformation about the coronavirus, pulling down countless ads on its platform and leveraging all sorts of tools to be able to do it. So when the uh, platform actually cares about misinformation and disinformation, you know, particularly when it doesn't impact Black people, they kind of can mobilize all sorts of forces to actually deal with it. But when it came to voter suppression, and Trump was lying about vote-by-mail in Michigan or lying about vote-by-mail in California or threatening protesters, it seemed that the platform became incredibly impotent and being able to do anything about holding him accountable. And so part of our engagement here has really been about pressing Facebook, pushing Facebook. I've spoken at their shareholders meeting most recently. But at the end of the day, what we recognize when it comes to big tech platforms like Facebook, which have an outsized amount of power in our ability to express our political voice and how they engage in our economy, that we need new rules of the road for tech. I guess when I left the meeting, what I was very clear about is that just another reminder of why we need real, strong, clear rules for technology platforms, because they cannot police themselves. The incentive structure for money and growth are so incredibly strong. And at every turn, that is going to be what drives folks that lead these platforms. And so if we don't have rules of the road, we just leave sort of the protection 
of communities that have been far too often attacked, far too often exploited, up to the winds of billionaires. I left the meeting also, I think, particularly very clear that just because you have a billion dollars, just because you went to an Ivy League school, just because you might be able to develop the coding of of a sort of back-end technology platform, doesn't mean that you have any understanding of American history, civil rights, or the sort of deep and challenging ways that Black people have had to experience all the rules in this country. And as a result, that is why you probably shouldn't be in charge solely of a platform like this. And that is why in a country like ours, uh, individual shouldn't control a public square. Mm-hmm. And, and I imagine diversity at, at the top has a lot to do with it. So I wanna, just keeping on this theme of holding corporations um, accountable, I was wondering, are there other, I know that there are, but uh, what are the other companies you plan to bring to the table in terms of making substantial changes in terms of diversity in COVID? And I was particularly interested in your thoughts about Alexis Ohanian's recent move, stepping down from the Reddit board and urging the company to replace him with an African-American member. What are your thoughts on that? So I thought Alexis' move was amazing. I thought it was, um, you know, when sometimes people ask me like, you know, what are things that folks can do to be good allies? It just felt like a very clear thing that an individual can do. But, you know, we also can't have our progress and our opportunities subject to whether or not we have enough good white people out there like Alexis. We actually, once again, need to change our rules because um, there's only going to be so many Alexises out there. And there's only going to be maybe so many of them that actually get to marry a Serena Williams and engage on an in day in, day out are connected to all the ways in which they are seeing racism through and, and connected to the eyes of uh, a very visible Black woman who's spoken out as well. And so I just want to both recognize how powerful and important individual acts are because they are, and we want to give credit where credit is due. We also want to recognize that we need the type of structural change and structural rules to deal with the systemic exclusion. You know, we have to also be very clear that we say what we mean when we talk about all these things. I think sometimes we'll say things like, Black people are less likely to get hired in tech, instead of actually saying tech companies are less likely to hire Black people. We will say things like, Black communities are vulnerable, when in fact, Vulnerability is a personal trait. Black communities have been attacked, exploited, targeted. I think lots of times, particularly in the tech world, when we talk about sort of Black people's relationship to tech, we make it about what Black people are or are not doing, not what tech isn't doing. And so then a lot of the focus becomes on fixing Black people, right? Let's do mentorship programs. Let's do like pipeline programs. Let's do these things to fix Black people so they are ready to do well inside of a a system and a structure that has systemically excluded them. And let me be clear, this is not just Black people. This is folks of color. This is women. I will hear regularly women are less likely to get promoted inside of tech companies when tech companies are less likely to promote women. We actually have to be very clear about um, sort of where the responsibility lies so we can build the type of powerful campaigns and the powerful focus to actually change those things. Mm-hmm. And let me just have you speak a little bit further on that, right? Because the the protests over George Floyd and racism are shining 
a brighter light than ever on the inequities that color of change has been fighting to fix for such a long time. And you have definitely talked to a bunch of tech companies over the years about diversity, about their policies. And, you know, so many of them now are saying, we get it, we want to do better, but they've said it all these years, you know? So are you optimistic that they mean it this time? You know, whenever time there's like a school shooting and it's tragic and it's horrible and people are like, of course, probably affected. And then you hear folks who have thought for any type of meaningful change, say thoughts and prayers. My thoughts and prayers out to the people affected and the communities affected. And a lot of this does feel like thoughts and prayers. It feels like thoughts and prayers at Black communities. Some of the Black Lives Matter sort of posts feel like thoughts and prayers. They are statements without consequence. They are, they are words without intention or action. And many of these companies benefit structurally, financially, from the systemic exclusion of Black people, whether it is all the ways in which financial systems have colluded to hurt and prevent Black people from being able to uh, gain wealth and be able to uh, grow inside of our system and, and how companies have exploited that and tech companies have exploited that. All of the ways in which content on social media platforms travels much quicker when it's outrageous and salacious. And as a result, the content that hurts us the most can travel the quickest and it's monetized through advertiser dollars and other things. And so the fact of the matter is, unless you are able to change the rules, don't come at me with your thoughts and prayers because I'm actually not really interested in it. I represent and and I'm a part of a community that has been harmed and hurt and continues to be harmed and hurt. So when I think about the future of my niece and my nephews, when I think about the world that I am fighting for for them, I'm not interested in whether or not you care. I'm interested in whether or not you're able to act. Mm-hmm. Which is a perfect segue for my next question. It's like you know what we're going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we're just synced up because, right, we recognize all these barriers that we're facing. Right. So my question was, um, I think when you discuss these massive, massive multi-generational issues like uh, racism and, and the pandemic and corporate culture, they seem overwhelming to the individual person. So for people listening and reading, if there were just three things that they could do today to impact change, even just from their cell phone or their laptops, what would you encourage them to do? Well, the first, I would urge them to get educated. And that means listening to you're listening to you all, reading sort of other information and podcasts, I would say join organizations like Color of Change, because what we're trying to do is not just fight to hold technology companies in the abstract, but connecting it to all the various ways that we get to live. At Color of Change, we believe that people don't experience issues, they experience life, and that the forces that hold us back are deeply interrelated, that political inequality goes hand in hand with economic inequality, that a racist criminal justice system requires a racist media culture to keep it alive and thrive. And so we're 
when we're fighting around to end money bail and to change the rules around bail that impact Black people, we recognize that means we have to end the practice of ads being used by the bail industry on platforms like Google and Facebook, which can leverage algorithms to reach communities and to exploit folks through those ads, that predatory marketing that hurts us in a very clear way through payday loans and all sorts of other banking tools can um, be even more supercharged because technology platforms will exploit us and will supercharge and move those things much quicker. And so we try to every day connect people to that work. And then finally, as we head into an election season, let's look very closely at what politicians and political leaders say about, about corporate consolidation and corporate power. Let's look at those who are willing to hold corporations accountable, because in so many ways, what we are dealing with here is companies that have become far too big and far too powerful for their own good. This is not about um, a person with a good idea trying to make good and being able to take that good idea and get it to the marketplace and be able to help and engage people. This is about folks that once they do that, have platforms and products that become so incredibly big and forget to care about the people that they hurt along their way to the next billion dollars. Rashad, we are almost out of time, but I didn't want to let you go without asking you about what you think about the fact that because of COVID-19, technology companies seem to have more power than ever, and that also they're proposing things that are sort of in line with surveillance, and that could really affect Black and brown people. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, this is actually something that we are deeply worried about in terms of the, the tracking, right, of folks around contact tracing that could happen with apps, apps could happen unbeknownst to us, where that data is stored, where the data lives. A lot of sort of solutions that may seem really simple uh, that have technology, we have to constantly ask ourselves, well then who gets to own the data? What do they get to use for it? And then how can it be used um, against us, depending on like who's in power, right? And who has access to it. And I do think like, This is one of the sort of consequences of an environment where we can't be with each other in person, that so much of the tools and technology which bring us together are owned by people who develop them that that had never thought about, think about racism. We're, We're doing this on Zoom. Right. And, you know, there was a whole lot of Zoom bombing that happened right as we moved from offline to online, sort of exclusively, if you were lucky enough, right? If you were privileged enough to be able to move your work online, a lot of us moved it onto these platforms like Zoom, where the technology that is supposed to bring us into the future, take us to the future, can absolutely drag us into the past because of all the ways in which white nationalists and others were organizing on other platforms like 4chan and then coming onto these platforms and taking them over in hostile ways that were sort of reminiscent of also the ways that Black people have experienced hostility and violence and attacks in other spaces. And so, you know, when we sort of engage the folks at Zoom, they're like, well, we never imagined that people would want to take over and interrupt and disrupt someone else's space. And we're like, well, of course, if that has not been your experience in life, that someone would want to disrupt, that someone would want to attack, that someone would want to uh, push back on your space, then like 
If you have never thought about those questions, should you be the person that actually gets to solely decide all the answers? I remember when we were trying to get Facebook to take down white nationalist content and white nationalist closed groups and trying to explain to Sheryl Sandberg that basically... If they took down the white nationalist clothes groups, they wouldn't have to also take down the groups for women breastfeeding that didn't want men in their groups. That they were not the same thing and that you could like take down white nationalist groups and you didn't have to have a two sides for like women breastfeeding groups. But this is the problem when these decisions are made inside of very closed groups that do not um, have people with power um, who are not white or who are not black or brown. And this is the ongoing problem with Silicon Valley, where they get to set the terms of the future. And when they set the terms of the future in rooms all throughout the valley, they are setting those terms without black or brown people, imagining a world that impacts us, but without us. And that has to change. Okay, well, thank you. Really appreciate your perspective today. We really appreciate your time, Rashad. Thank you, Rashad. Thank y'all. So that was really interesting. I've always found Rashad to be really honest and frank and candid. And yeah, he, he really doesn't hold back. What did you think? I'm really impressed with what he's doing and what the organization is doing because there are uh, there's a lot of advocacy groups that push for equality and um, for the types of issues and social change. But his his focus on um, technology and these Silicon Valley companies and really the the long game of their influence in the country. I mean, we saw with the last election what the impact of an unchecked social media platform can do. And so I think it's really smart of him and very effective um, for them to focus on technology. Yeah. Just for our listeners, I just want to give a little bit of background on Rashad and Color of Change. So I have been in touch with them for a long time because, like I said, for years, they have been trying to get Facebook to do the right thing on lots of different issues, whether it is taking down information that harms black and brown people, whether it's Facebook giving in to the police and stopping a live stream of police brutality that was happening. They have really been on the front lines trying to push Facebook to just get better. So it doesn't surprise me that they are keeping on doing that, keeping the pressure on Facebook right now. I think it's important right now because, like he said, a lot of us have had to take our work online. And so what happens online matters more than ever. Next time, we are going to be talking about education on our podcast. Please check out our newsletter on raceandcoronavirus.com. Listen to our future podcasts and recommend us to your friends. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you.